You're listening to the Creepy Kingdom Podcast Network, covering and creating all things creepy. Visit creepykingdom.com to get access to all of our articles, videos, and podcasts. Join our Patreon for exclusive content. Patreon.com slash creepy kingdom. And now it is time to open the crypts. Creepy Kingdom proudly presents the Creepy Kingdom Movie Crypt. Hello there and welcome to Creepy Kingdom's Movie Crypt, Creepy Kingdom's podcast about films, streaming series, and a whole bunch of other types of fiction that we're going to cover just for you. I am your host, Mr. James H. Carter II, and I'm joined by Creepy Kingdom's very own managing editor, Kayla Caldwell. Hello. Hi. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's uh, we pulled you out of the editing cave to get you back on a <laughs> podcast. It's been a hot minute. I don't even remember the last one you were on, to be honest. I don't either. <laughs> Something during haunt season, I think. Look, we all play our parts. Yes. <laughs> and that was the part that you're going to play. And I'm actually glad that you're on because you've really been holding it down with um, – uh, you know the interview side of things. You've, you've been, especially with our new uh, films and streaming series, you've been in the trenches. Yeah, interviewing these directors and uh, actors and all that. Um, you even had the chance to interview uh, Juliet Lewis. <laughs> I did. That was awesome. And that was for Sacred Life. Sacred Lies, Sacred the Lies. Singing Bones on Facebook. Yeah, is that still going? Facebook Watch. No, well, the show has ended, but you can stream the whole season now on Facebook Watch, and it's actually really good. And like, I may or may not have cried watching the end of it. (laughs) There's like all these plots about like finding your family and how your family doesn't necessarily have to be like just like the people who are blood related, but like you can go out there and find your own crew. And it's, I really liked it. Oh. That's good. Yeah, I, was, I, I saw the first episode and uh, it seemed like that's where the story was going for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, I mean, Julia Lewis, I mean, what a. <laughs> yeah. she And she what a, what an is honor. just so like down to earth and sweet. And it was just like having a conversation with a friend. Like she's just awesome. That's what you're saying is you're friends with Julia Lewis. Yes, we are best friends. Oh, okay. And we talk all the time and it's not through a publicist <laughs> most of my closest friendships are through publicists yeah you know it's hollywood <laughs> anywho um we're but what we're gonna be uh doing uh in this episode um is uh we don't there's not a new film release that we're covering but there was a, a new streaming series um that you got to cover extensively yeah. that we're going to speak about in just a moment. But um, after that, um, we have a roundtable discussion where myself and Shannon McGrew for Nightmarish Conjurings and fashion designer and artist Micheline Pitt, we all chat about the film 
Oh my god, what is the, I can't remember the full title. I keep forgetting it. <laughs> it's the uh the emancipation of one Miss Harley Quinn colon birds of prey. <laughs> no, I think there's a made up word in the title there that I can Yeah, forgetting. like fantabulous. I'm sorry, the something. fantabulous <laughs> emancipation of one Miss Harley Quinn. Probably one of the most unmarketable titles that I, but I still love it. But we get into all that fun stuff (laughs) on our roundtable. But first, uh, let's get to uh, you know what we're uh, previewing this week. A little bit of a spoiler-free look at a new uh, streaming series. So I'll I'll let you kind of explain the platform and uh, and the show. Okay. Yes, yeah, so it's a new show, and it's on Quibi, which is a new streaming service, and it's it's pretty it's kind of made for watching on your phone. Like I'm sure there are lots of you know times you'd want to watch it, but like I just keep thinking of like on the gym, on the gym. Wow, sorry, you're gonna have to edit stuff. <laughs> no, keeping that uh, in. On the gym, when you're on the roof of the gym, you can watch the like show. When you're in the gym on, you know, the treadmill or whatever you use, and you're like, oh, I have 20 minutes. You can watch, you know, a couple quibbies. Sure. But I'm sure there's lots of other stuff, cooking, whatever. But it's pretty cool because it has chapters instead of so instead of just sitting down and watching an entire series, which is what I have been doing lately i think a lot of people are doing that. <laughs> you have to kind of tune back in and it's slow especially for something you know like for us for horror series or any kind of series that's suspenseful i mean it really it really uh turns up the suspense because you have to wait and come back to see what happens um but so this particular show is called 50 states of fright and it I mean, I'll just say I love urban legends. I always have. Mm-hmm. I was a, a kid who, you know, told scary stories at slumber parties with the flashlight in the dark, you know. Uh, really? Are you been holding so, on? It's like scary stories? Are you sitting on scary stories you're not sharing with us? Maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I talk so much, James. I'm not sure what I have or have not told you. Uh, all right. I, just, I don't know. I'm just, you've, you certainly have not busted out a flashlight and told me any stories. <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> but it's, no, you're fine. This show is, it just feels like it was like kind of made for me because it's about urban legends, specifically in the United States. Um, so 50 states of fright. And so they pick a state for each chapter. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Chapter. So the first one is for Michigan, which I don't know really anything about lore there. So this was very new to me, this story, it's called the golden arm and it was three short, um, episodes and they make up the the first chapter, which is the Golden Arm, about oh. like twenty minutes ish. Uh, but the episodes are really like it's also. I don't know. I don't need to give you reasons to use Quibi. This isn't even an ad for Quibi. As we're talking they're about the a, show. They're not a sponsor, but yeah. uh, but it is but, a, it is a new format to have such quality content being produced for short form mobile consumption. I mean, that's kind of a new concept, right? I mean, I guess Facebook watch is trying to do that a little bit. (laughs) Well, yeah, but they still have like just full episodes. Like these are, I think particularly made to be kind of broken down and easier to 
I don't know, quickly digest. I don't know. But I, yeah, I was surprised because when I saw commercials for Quibi, I kind of was just like, whatever, like I roll. I don't need another streaming platform. (laughs) But the, like, 50 States of Fright has, I mean, it has Sam Raimi as an executive producer. He directed the first episode. He wrote it with his, with Ivan Raimi. And, uh, it stars Rachel Brosnahan, who, you know, is huge right now because of the marvelous Mrs. Uh, Maisel and Travis Fimmel, who I actually, for a change, I didn't know who that was, but that's because I haven't seen Vikings. Apparently he's amazing on it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really good quality. I mean, the cinematography, the, it's the pictures. So like, it's just, for example, so this one, um, can I, should I just go into the summary of the episode? Yeah, actually, before you do that, I want to be clear because I, I haven't seen it, so I'm I'm the uh, the voice of the audience here. What is the the format of this show? Is it documentary style? Is it reenactments? Uh, so yeah, it's more like reenactments. Um, it just kind of goes right into it and just yeah, like so. This I don't know if they're all going to be this way, but this particular one, it starts off. Hold on, I have to. I, I had this little thing. Open. Okay, John Marshall Jones, who I know from when I was a kid and loved Smart Guy. I don't know uh, what that is. <laughs> oh, it was this like Disney Channel show, but uh, he he was the dad on Smart Guy, and uh, so he kind of is telling a story to the the audience. So he's he just kind of you know, starts going into it and then it kind of pulls out and goes to reenactments with Travis and Rachel and the cast. Um, but so very, very well produced. Um, just like you're watching any TV show or movie. Um, so it seems like it's, it's playing out like, like a, like a fiction narrative story, but it's actually based on real urban legend. So what I would compare it to is if you have seen the show Lore based on the podcast. I haven't seen it personally, yeah. but I'm sure our listeners, some of our listeners have. Yeah. So there's two seasons on Amazon Prime and it's kind of similar where it's, it's based in a combination of, you know, folklore for, you know, maybe some history if it's relevant to whatever that particular tale is. But the actual like videos you're watching, it's not talking heads or anything. It's just the narrative playing out. Gotcha. Which is better. Cause you know, watching talking heads. <laughs> yeah. And it's oh, not, it so it's like, not like except for foolish mortals, an excellent documentary full of talking. heads. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, look, I respect a talking head in the right place. You know, it just depends the format for this one. I mean, I liked that you just, it's just like you're watching a movie. Like here's this particular scary story. Okay. So it's, reenactment kind of but it's not I'm I I want to let everyone know it's not like watching you know one of those investigation discovery shows where the reenactments make you that, like, that's kind of what I was worried about yeah like they're like really cringeworthy reenactments <laughs> yeah they're not they're not like that I mean there's there's a particular scene that I've noticed has been gaining traction on Twitter with it's a scene with Rachel and you know the golden arm, which is the name of the episode. And it's like such a short clip, but people think it's so funny. Cause she's like admiring the arm, mm-hmm. but overall, like I really didn't find it to be, you know, Oh, this is so cheesy. They're over at, cause I mean, they're good 
the people he chose, like they're good actors. Yeah, like, seems, yeah. I mean, it seems like a real quality uh, crew, yeah. uh, and and cast and crew here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is. I was I was very surprised. I mean, I like. I mean, I love Sam Raimi, so it's not like I expected him to do something bad. And same with Rachel and, and Frosnahan. But just, you know, I didn't really know what Quibi was. And I was just kind of like, well, we'll see. Well, I'm up for it because, as I said, I love Urban Legends. But I was really pleasantly surprised by the quality. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I love Sam Raimi as well. But the, uh, it's, but this is definitely kind of a newish kind of uh, thing for him, this kind of format. So you don't really know how he's going to yeah. uh, execute as executive producer or as director. So. Yeah, that's true. But his directing style and in editing and cinematography is so high quality <laughs> in my humble opinion. <laughs> that, yeah. That, no, I mean, I agree. yeah, his name on it is, is a, you know, is a stamp of quality approval uh, in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely when I read, you know, who was involved, I was like, Oh, okay. Well that gives, that makes me feel like, you know, there's a chance it's good. <laughs> Which, by the way, a film which people hate on, and I thought was incredible, totally bombed. I just, I don't know. Maybe it was just made for me, but I loved Oz the Great and Powerful. I thought that he knocked it out of the park with that movie. I actually have not seen it, yeah, but most, I have the DVD. Have well, watch it if you have the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what I did with my DVD player. I had unplugged it because I was using more streaming and I like my apartment is not that big. How can I not find it? But I have no idea where I put it, which is annoying because I really, (laughs) I have a couple movies that people have lent me or given me and I really want to watch them. Well, it is an archaic medium. (laughs) 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 No, I mean, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, (laughs) I mean, we, we still watch Blu-rays over at our house, but it's, it's through our PS4. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have one of those either. Yeah. Yeah. Get one. They're cool. <laughs> <laughs> Not a sponsor either. Anyways. Um, so you, uh, speaking of uh, praising Sam Raimi, you had the opportunity uh, to have a little chat. Briefly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, again, he's a just really nice guy. Clearly very passionate about what he does. Um, I asked, we, so the, the format of it was, uh, I think they're trying to kind of just figure out how to do press during quarantine. Mm -hmm. Um, so we all were on the same call and people rotated questions. And so I asked about, since the whole show is urban legends, what were the urban legends that scared you? Because I just think that's so interesting because you're telling basically like such similar variations on the same story. And, you know, it's just, I just think it's interesting hearing like, Oh, what story really scared you? Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think that's a lot of fun. And, and it worked out. He didn't just say, you know, Oh, it's the one with the, the the claw or it's the one with this. He actually tells the story. So I was personally told an urban legend by Sam Raimi, which is pretty cool. And you guys are going to get to hear it, so you can feel like he told you personally, too. All right. It's coming right at you. <laughs> Hi. Hi. It's so nice to talk to you. I'm such a fan of your work. Um, I was wondering, since Thank the whole you. theme is, you know, urban legends, what are some urban legends that, you know, really terrorized you as a kid? 
this was one of them. This story scared me as a kid. I remember hearing it at a, around a campfire in Michigan. Um, it was a little different, but basically the same thing. I know there's a lot of versions of the Golden Arm. Um, this terrified me, but also there was one, I think, it's, I've heard everywhere. I don't think it's a Michigan story, which is um, <laughs> and one about the couple that um, go out kissing in their car. They, they drive to this deserted spot, and they think that somebody, sorry, they, uh, they realize the car has uh, died when they're, when they want to leave, the, the car has gone out, and one of them says, um, okay, I'm going to walk to the gas station, stay here. So the guy goes off and leaves the partner in the car. The partner starts to hear some stuff in the woods, and the guy won't come back. The guy went to the, find the gas station. Mm -hmm. And then there's this, like, tapping. Tap, tap, tapping. <laughs> and the person finally used their cell phone and says, uh, I don't even know how the story ends, but he calls the police. The police come, and they say, don't get out of the car. Why not? And they slowly cover their eyes as they're led from the car. But they turn around and look, and the guy who left for the gas station is strung up over the car, and it's his blood that's tap, tap, tapping on the roof of the car. Something in the woods had, had grabbed him and strung him up without the other person ever seeing so that was, that was one that really scared me. I didn't do a good job telling it, but... No, no, no. I know really... exactly what you're talking about, and we definitely told that growing up in Pennsylvania. That was both scared me so bad, that story. <laughs> <laughs> so now you just got to hear Sam Raimi, and I mean, I would imagine, hopefully one part, well, either way, I'm sure if you are interested, you might go check it out, or maybe we've opened your mind to a new platform just so we can follow a director that we happen to love. <laughs> but I think it's a, it's fun. It's fairly, uh, I mean, the risk is fairly low because right now they're doing three months free, which again, sounds like it's an ad, but I'm just saying, if you want to watch it, you don't have to worry about spending money to see it. And it's so it's quick and super well done. And mm -hmm. they've already released episodes. I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but they've released, uh, the beginnings of the next urban legend, which is from a different state. So, well, so how often I, do these uh, chapters come out? So it says every press release I've seen says new content every day. So mm. I don't know how much content they, you know, stockpiled to be, cause that's a lot, but I guess if you're breaking everything up, but every time I've checked, there have been new, new chapters. So just, just so we're clear on all this, because I don't know, and maybe you don't know, but <laughs> this is more format uh, questions, not about the show. So it's a streaming service that you have to get an app for your phone and use. Can you um, also view this on your television via like Apple TVs or Roku's or anything like that? Or is it just on uh, mobile devices? Um, you know what? I actually don't know. I think the whole I think the idea is you're supposed to watch it on your phone, but I mean it would be nice to have that option on the TV. Um, I'm really yeah, I'm really, not totally really, sure, really but putting you on the spot with that one. I thought you were the representative of, of Queeby here. <laughs> <laughs> I know I made it sound like that. <laughs> I just naturally want to make everything an advertisement. Great, great. Hasn't well, 
earned me very much money though because they need to say, be in on it. I was like, yeah, you got to let the uh, the sponsor know that they're sponsored. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but I did just look, and the full second episode is now live as well. Okay. And uh, uh, do you have any know how much it's going to cost after the the three month period? Uh, yeah, I believe it's five dollars a month. Okay, and this is uh, one of I think seven shows that are on this platform. I, th- I thought I saw uh, some uh, some kind of press yeah. release with like seven or eight shows. Yeah, I remember that from the press release. But I mean, I f- I don't know. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder how much they're going to how much new content they're going to release because I feel like every time a new streaming service comes out. My my thought process on whether or not I want to get it, well, first of all, is if there's a project on it that I really want to watch. Yeah. But also, how many shows are they even going to have? You know, it's like I already have like Netflix and this and this and this. Like, do I want to spend this much? For example, like CBS Access, the way that all the networks are like making their own cha- streaming services now. I'm kind of like, so it would be interesting to know how many they're putting out. But yeah, but yeah, this seems like it's trying to playing a different uh, ec- ecosystem by just like, by catering to mobile than all those other ones, you know? And so I think, yeah, I think they'll really have an advantage. Um, I personally don't like looking at stuff on my phone, but I know most people don't care. <laughs> That's why I asked about the streaming thing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I totally get it. I feel like if you can't, I will more so, I don't know how much I'll use it right now because I think it would be something, you know, I mean, maybe if, if I'm cooking, I probably would because I always like to listen to something and it's cumbersome to like bring the whole computer in because I need the counter space. Um, but I feel like the the most obvious thing I can see and they've, I've seen it in the commercials for Quibi too, is, you know, it's, oh, like there's an, there's a commercial with Chrissy Teigen and he's like, oh, you have, you know, 10 minutes left. And she's like, 10 minutes. How about a quibby? And it almost seems like they're trying to make it a like phrase, you know? Yeah, or but they're. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting advertising, but it's really definitely like it's it's like a way to kill time as their marketing, angle. yeah. <laughs> as opposed to yeah, planning I mean, around honestly, it, planning around yeah. it like you do on the television. <laughs> so yeah, it's very different. In sense. Well, we'll see. But I'm interested in the. I'm interested in the show, so we'll see if I uh, can adapt to killing time <laughs> by watching 10 minute episodes but yeah. um cool well thanks for uh you know your uh in-depth reporting on 50 <laughs> states of fright but now we're gonna get to um our main event here um like i said we have a round table discussion and and if you haven't heard on earlier episodes the way that we're going to be doing uh this show now is you know every week we're going to be previewing uh what's come out it's mostly going to be films but sometimes we'll you know dive into series if it's you know pertains to us and our creepy interests uh and then we'll do a uh you know a round table discussion of something that's been out for a while so that most people would be able to uh you know, have seen it. And so we can kind of have like a, a, a spoiler filled deep dive analysis. Oh, okay. of yeah. It. Um, yeah. I mean, I appreciate that as someone who is, gets so upset by spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I, I do as well. Uh, and I've listened to some podcasts that just 
blurted out spoilers with no remorse. <laughs> and, it, and it made me – one time I was so mad <laughs> that I stopped it. Well, I was I stopped listening to it and I immediately unsubscribed to the podcast. <laughs> That's what you get. I mean, I remember the most frustrating spoiler of my entire life was season four finale of Dexter. And if anyone is a Dexter fan, you know that's the best season. And someone spoiled the ending on Facebook the second the episode ended. Wow. So I like I didn't even have a chance. Like, oh, I got home late. Now I'll watch it. Like she already had the spoiler up. I will. Oh my god. Yeah. I just think about it and I get mad. That's lots of. I, I, I you personally have never told me that uh, in our friendship. So that I, I <laughs> and so that's like that's like the worst spoiler <laughs> that it could possibly be ruined. I mean, it's definitely in the top ten. I know. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Particularly yeah, that that episode season. of that yeah. series, uh, yeah. No, I, I so shocked. I definitely agree with you that season four of Dexter was the best, and um, I thought you were gonna say um, on Netflix the spoiler was actually in the description of season five. <laughs> Of course, of course, if anyone hasn't seen it, I'm not going to say it. And you should watch all of Dexter because I've been rewatching it and having and it's still phenomenal. But uh, so if you so if you're just scrolling through the seasons and reading the synopsis of them, it says what happens oh. in the season finale of season four in the synopsis of season five. It did when it first came up. It was a huge controversy because oh. <laughs> it's such a major wow. uh, thing that happens. Yeah, yeah, that one's huge. Well, that's like two. I remember um, from one of you know, my old jobs, I was covering, I would often get the walking dead, uh, material because even though I was in an entertainment office, like no one was really into entertainment and didn't watch any current shows. Um, (laughs) but there was a character died. I don't remember what season it was, but a character died. And so another character was like, hold like carrying them. Yeah. And it aired at, I don't know, eight or nine on the East coast. And then they posted the photo on Instagram. I I remember that one. I don't know who you're talking about, but I remember that happening. That the official account posted a spoiler. Yeah, the official account. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Lena Dunham did that too. First, she starred on – she was in an episode of Scandal. And uh, I mean – I'm sorry. I don't care about spoiling this. It was one episode. But so her character dies at the end of the episode and she posted the day the episode aired. She posted all these pictures of her like dead, but the episode hadn't actually. aired. <laughs> so like I had I watched Scandal at the time. And so I was scrolling through and just happened to see it. And I was like, OK, well, now I know what happens. <laughs> like, well, I haven't watched that. I've never seen that show. I'd imagine I didn't even know she was on it, so she must have been a very minor character. <laughs> yeah, it was literally one episode. Oh, it was one episode. Was yeah. Like one, of, she was like one of the clients. So like, I don't know how it was toward the end. I stopped watching it because the format like changed. It was really great the first season though, because every like there was one kind of overarching story, but like every it was like the first season of Veronica Mars, basically, where like every episode has it had its own. Um, you know, what's the issue or how, who are we helping or what do we need to fix today? Mm -hmm. And so by the end of the episode, like that's concluded. So you can either watch them just whenever you wanted, or you could, if you care about the like love story that I don't really care about, then you could, (laughs) you know, watch it in order. But so, yeah, so she was just like, she came in at the beginning of the episode and was trying to, 
I don't know, some kind of political scandal. And I guess the politician like had her killed or something. But like, that was like the the big ending of the episode. Like yeah. it was jarring. I mean, I mean, that was maybe she was just mad at the show and just wanted to. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm gonna move on from talking about her, and uh, I'm gonna say I don't think there's any crazy major spoilers in uh, this film. I don't think. Uh, have you seen Birds of Prey yet? I haven't. I really want to. You should. But don't listen to this whole roundtable first. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> we dissect it thoroughly. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we're going to close out this episode with our main event, a roundtable discussion with myself, joined by Miss Shannon McGrew and Miss Micheline Pitts. All righty. Let me introduce who I'm chatting with here. We have from the website Nightmarish Conjurings, Miss Shannon McGrew. Hello. And we have a special guest, fashion designer, artist, um, filmmaker, juggler, maybe, Miss <laughs> <laughs> Micheline Pitt. <laughs> Hi, guys. I don't actually juggle, but I, I'll try it. I'm down. Okay. <laughs> Real life clown. Terrifies me. I actually do have a, a clown uh, alter ego, and her name is Bubbles. <laughs> and you can find her on my Instagram. Yeah, I, I didn't know if Bubbles juggled, so that's why I was. <laughs> she doesn't. She usually just uh, frightens small children, but uh, I should pick up juggling. <laughs> I could frighten small children as well. But um, too bad she couldn't make it here for uh, this roundtable because. Uh, Talking about another uh, uh, clown lady. Uh, we're doing a uh, little chat here about the Birds of Prey, the emancipation of one Miss Harley Quinn. Now, didn't they change the name? Is that actually happened? It's no longer, or is it still called that? I know that there was rumors of it being changed to just Harley Quinn. Hmm. Yeah. I saw Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey. I saw that yeah. change. I God forbid it. you give the men too much to say in you know, a title of a movie. All this movie did was break rules. And it did it from the advertising. It did it from the oh, title yeah. of the film. Like It's what it was completely about from day one. And I was here for it. I, I really appreciated how much they didn't follow suit with so many other... Uh, comic book films. Yeah, I mean, we can even start with this title. As soon as that title was released, I was like, "Wow, they're they're really going for it here." <laughs> they're, they're like, that's that's not a very marketable title. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like "Birds of Prey" is the title. I liked that they shorthanded it to "Bop." I thought that was really interesting and and cute. Um, personally, I really liked that. Now, of course, there was a, a television series, "Birds of Prey," that. There- did not include Harley Quinn, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, there were there's also like a Birds of Prey like musical number that got cut. That's really hilarious. That I would suggest anyone looking it up. It's animated and it's really funny. And cut. it's got uh, Black Canary in it. And it's got some really innuendo, funny like humor in it. Um, and it, it's really entertaining. From this movie? No, oh. from the animated Birds of Prey sequence. There's a song that's really funny that the Birds of Prey sing. Oh, so there's an animated Birds of Prey film is what you're saying. 
there's a sequence of birds of prey yeah so that um, you were talking about um there's some animated versions of the birds of prey as well okay i got I, I thought it was a live action uh cw show that was called birds of prey <laughs> that would have been really interesting for them they do tend to do musical numbers in all their cw shows yeah. for some reason <laughs> All that being said, this is my point. Very confusing <laughs> to the average person of what's going on here <laughs> in the marketing with uh, with this film. <laughs> but um, I was on board from day one uh, because I thought it was a really bizarre title. And I absolutely loved um, Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. I know... Uh, I actually just love Suicide Squad. Uh, very most people didn't care for that film, and and a lot of they really bashed it, and also kind of bashed uh, Harley Quinn in this. And I didn't really understand that. Uh, what do you guys coming into this? What did you guys think about Suicide Squad? Well, I mean, I'm not. I'm definitely one of the people that was not a fan of Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got issues with character design. Uh, like Croc's character design, his head's completely disproportionate with his shoulders. I think it's a really bad practical makeup. Um, I don't like the Joker's design at all. I don't think it fits into the character. You have all these really beautiful, amazing iterations of the Joker and Harley throughout the comic book series, the video games. And they just kind of went off the rails and just did something that I thought was very pandering to mm. like a doll's kill, like edgelord kind of internet vibe that I thought was not that was not as genuine to who these characters were and it was very transparent in my opinion um and I think that fans of Harley and the Joker they're very dedicated and I think even more so in some regards than Batman fans and I think that's why there was a lot of us and I'm definitely a part of that group that just wasn't here for it um I thought there were some great moments in the film I thought you know, Will Smith killed it. He was probably one of my favorite things. Mm. Um, besides Margaret Robbie's performance was amazing, no matter if they did just justice to her aesthetic look. Mm. Um, I thought her performance was phenomenal. I thought they casted Harley perfectly with her. I am really simple when it comes to superhero movies. You give me some hot dudes and some <laughs> things blowing up and like, I'm good. I don't, I never read the comics. It's not my favorite movie. It's definitely not my favorite enactment of the Joker. I'm very much, uh, I'm now a big Joaquin Phoenix fan of the Joker. 100% agree. Yeah. Jared Leto is Jared Leto. I'll keep it to that. Yeah, yeah, we're not not going to debate Jared Leto. I think universally nobody's excited about Jared Leto. But I will say, to Micheline's point, I think, you know, I knew of some of the characters just through whatever. I think that they casted Harley Quinn beautifully. I don't, I could not imagine anyone else in that role being a fan of Margot Robbie. Like, she just, I think she nailed it. And I think she's pretty much the best part of the film. Oh, 100%. I think her and Will Smith, to me, were like the two best parts of the film. I thought yeah, the, I liked Will Smith, too. He was great. I loved his performance. I loved his character. Um, I like that he brought a lot of attention to a character that doesn't get a lot of attention in that universe. Um, and he's just really entertaining. The, the guy is great on screen. I really do enjoy watching him. Um, and I like the boomerang. Was it the boomerang? The Australian dude. 
the one that had the they threw the things and I those boomerangs. I Whatever, did. he's attractive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that threw that thing. I did also really like the design for Enchantress. I thought that was really. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was. I was gonna bring it. I thought Enchantress was really badass. I really liked the. Oh the yeah, deal. the design on her were, was killer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think the 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 Birds of Prey movie is leaps and bounds better when it comes to story. When it comes to character building authenticity of those characters than suicide squad like this felt like a very authentic film to me it felt like a film that you could tell that was coming from a female perspective and in a way that felt very genuine i mean i get really sensual with my egg and cheese sandwiches too especially If they're done right from Dunkin' Donuts, I'm like, Dunkin' so Donuts. Those so are the so worst steak and cheese sandwiches on earth. They microwave those. Is, here's the thing. I'm a simple woman. Like, women have a very special relationship with food. Like, there are certain cravings we have, there's certain things, like our palate. Like, we, you know, yes, men love food too, but like the relationship we have with food is almost like a relationship with food. Yeah. So the way that she reacts to this egg sandwich was just so real and authentic and hilarious that, like, I went with my girlfriends and we were like losing it in the theater when she was freaking out about and just the way it was shot like it was a very like romance novel moment they're playing very white in the background (laughs) and it was great i thought and then just the fact that she doesn't get her sandwich (laughs) kind of in Uh that moment and it's just like oh that's the worst you've ever dropped something that you were really excited for like an ice cream cone when you're a kid and it goes on the cement and then you don't can't get another one because the ice cream truck's gone. Well, imagine that amplified as an adult who has a hangover. When I used to work in Manhattan, I would go to this like bodega by where I worked and they made like killer egg sandwich. That was immediately what I thought of like going to that bodega and getting that egg sandwich or bagel or whatever. And then the travesty that would occur if somebody were to knock that out of my hands, like, (laughs) I would probably react the same. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it all it all comes together because obviously Gotham is is parallel for New York City, and yes. and those grills. I mean, that's like you know sixty years of grease. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those grills. It's like if you're from the South, cast iron skillet seasoning. I can imagine the exact same thing as seasoning one of those grills in New York City. Like yeah. you don't ever wash it. That seasoning and cooking everything on it is the whole key of making everything taste good. And I have a hundred year old skillet that's never been washed, and like my husband knows if he ever washes it i will literally probably kill him <laughs> been in my family since like my great-grandmother so wow. and it's never been washed you you burn it in the oven to like kill all the bacteria and then you just wipe it down with like a towel huh the more you know yeah cooking <laughs> yeah <laughs> something i don't do <laughs> it's overrated i'm not a big fan <laughs> We're taking a lot of crazy detours on this episode, but but uh, that shows you how to, uh, what kind of the emotions this film stirs up. Well, I think that's because you have a superhero film that is directed by a female that understands what females go through. Like you know, the thing that we all heard when the movie came out, but I hadn't seen it was the hair tie thing, and then oh, yeah. finally watching that, being like, oh my god, like 
I can barely like walk without a hair tie. Like oh, I can't we, imagine fighting without a hair it's tie. Always on our wrists, like always, always. always. And yep. I love that. Like she pulls out mid-fight and just like hair tie, and yep. like the amount of cheers from women in the theater was like. <laughs> amazing like you should have if you didn't get to go see this movie when it opened and go to like a predominantly female like crowd or enough women in the crowd like we were like all cheering like batman had just defeated the supervillain. like it was <laughs> because that it's such a moment when you read comics and you you see the outfits that they draw these women in sometimes and like they all have long hair and they're flowing all over the place and you're like how are they not getting their hair pulled in these fights and how is this not getting in their face and how can they see and i love that they just went very real with that moment and made it a moment and i think that's what also again made this feel genuine because you could tell that there was a girl in that room when they were working on that script and they were having meetings that said this needs to happen in this because if i was this person i would not be able to fight if i was her if my hair kept getting in my face yeah getting in your mouth you're choking on it sticking to your lip gloss because they all have full faces of makeup on exactly Yep. What's well, what's interesting uh, about that point is so much of the film is uh, you know, hyper realistic, cartoony <laughs> violence and and action, and to and to sprinkle in these uh, you know real life moments, I think really gives the film a lot of depth. I know it must have been really inspiring for you too to be able to pull your hair back Me? as well. Yes. For, yeah. <laughs> I used to have hair, and I used to put in hair ties. I know. <laughs> He's like, look, I'll throw my beard really long and then have to tie yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, granted, I'm not saying I didn't – clearly I didn't have that experience with the hair tie moment. I'm just saying these are real – I can recognize these are real-life moments sprinkled in a hyper-realistic cartoon <laughs> You know, they were. World. <laughs> I appreciated the violence. Like I, I loved the glitter gun that she kept shooting all the cops. Oh, I love that she love did that gun. Like kill the cops because again, Harley, especially in Birds of Prey, if you read the comics, if you follow her storyline, she's no longer really a villain in the DC universe. She kind of comes like an anti-hero, like Catwoman. So you know, obviously she has no qualms about killing a bad person. But like, if somebody's in her way, she's not going to just try to kill them and hurt them anymore. And I think that that's really important to showcase and this film definitely achieves that to show the change that happens in Harley when she breaks up with the Joker because he was really the toxic thing in this fragile because she is a fragile fra uh, fragile person you know she and what's interesting at the beginning of the movie which we haven't talked about is fully animated mm -hmm. so opens like an animated sequence that tells the story of where Harley Quinn came from and it shows the old costume and it's all these throwback moments and you know it talks about the child abuse that she goes through that probably triggered the domino effect of who she became as a person. And I thought that that was really powerful. And I think that even though it was a small moment in the beginning of the movie, it really set the tone of like how she was so susceptible to someone as evil and, and bad as the Joker and how she allowed herself to become as bad as he is and do the things that he was doing. Yeah. And I, I also really appreciated seeing how she handled the breakup too. So I'm not right. saying that I blew up a building right via I mean, I, breakup. 
but but they all ended in fiery storms, so to speak. <laughs> uh, they weren't a good time, so I was like, oh yeah, I understand that. I know what it's like to go through a toxic relationship and then yep. have to, you know, break up and then set a building on fire. It's totally normal. It's she everything that we wished we could have done. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to, which is like when you have a bad breakup and if you've been blessed to never have one, then God bless you. But like most of us out there have chosen the wrong person to date and uh, had it just implode on itself. And um, you have to find yourself again. And I think that the biggest thing about this story is Harley finding who she really kind of is again. Yeah. Yeah, that's de- it's definitely that's that is the arc there from, you know, her. She has a little bit of a moral arc there. You kind of think she's capable of doing anything like, you know, when she breaks the uh, driver's legs in the beginning of the movie. But then all the way to the end when you're like, oh, she she still has a little bit of that. Uh, I'm looking out for number one. <laughs> Um, attitude as she, you know, ditches everyone and goes on, which leads to believe that her moral arc is just the beginning. This isn't the end of her journey mm-hmm. of finding who she is, which I hope that's the case. I hope this this story line. Continues. I think there's supposed to be a third film in this Harley Quinn. They're calling it. I was looking at the trivia, like the Harley Quinn trilogy, like Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey. I well, I mean, well the there's Suicide Squad 2 is in production. I don't know. If Har- yeah, but no, Har- I think from what I understand, there's supposed to be a separate Birds of Prey movie. Okay. Like I think you're correct. Yes. And what I'd like to see happen, so again, if anyone doesn't follow the comics, is Harley Quinn leaves the Joker. They break up, you know, however they break up. They're multiple breakups. And she actually starts a romantic relationship with Poison Ivy. So Poison Ivy is a part of Birds of Prey. And she didn't get introed at all into the film. But when I went to a special Warner Brothers event, there were Easter eggs about Clay. Uh, um, and there was Easter eggs about Poison Ivy, the Penguin, a bunch of different characters. And I don't know if they were just placing it in the photo op just to do it. But the biggest thing I thought I was like, you know, I was asking my friends who worked on this movie who had friends that worked on it. And obviously they can't tell me anything, but uh, I was like, is, is poison Ivy in it? Is poison. Is she going to be at the end? Is that mm-hmm. going to be the, the special in thing? Like she shows up because that's kind of like what all the Harley fans are waiting for, because she's a super important part of Harley be- continuing to become a better person. And then she makes poison Ivy a better person. I know in the, um, that animated series, the Harley Quinn one on DC Universe, mm-hmm. they were saying that season two of that, and I only know this because we just reviewed the first season, um, is that it was a big deal that they're going to be including Poison Ivy into the second season as a love interest for Harley Quinn. Like to have that show out on the series or something. I don't well, know. it's an adult series and it's in the comic book, so I don't understand. Yeah really hard you know still to this day why do people have issues have a difficulty you know going full steam ahead with same-sex relationships um and stuff like this especially when it's an adult show i mean i remember watching sailor moon and in the 90s and they would change the voice actors for characters that were male in the japanese version because they were having same-sex relationships and they would have a female voice actor because it was very effeminate like labyrinth looking characters (laughs) (laughs) So I'm I'm hoping 
you know, I feel like Birds of Prey did really well. There's going to be a second one from what my understanding is. And I really hope that we get um, Poison Ivy. And I'm interested to see who the villain's going to be because they chose a really dark villain for this film. Oh, yeah. I love... I was like, before we jump to the villain, you, 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 you used to get, we got to rewind a little bit there. <laughs> we we'll talk about it. But I do want to bring out the fact um, that this is uh, this movie is for adults. And as far as, as I can recall, this is the first rated R uh, DCU film. I don't think there's another one, correct? Joker came out, too. That was rated R. Which uh, one? Joker came out. Oh, but that's not part of DCU, though. Yeah. Oh, so you're not talking about DC films? No, I'm talking about the DC universe that they're creating with, you know, with. Uh, oh, I'm just talking across all Justice DC. League. No, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so then we're not including the Joker is not a part of this or Dark Knight's not a part of this. Um, yeah. I mean, I think if anything proved that that can make money is like Deadpool. If it's yeah. Done. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, it's something like the first comic book radar movie, but this is the first in the DC universe, which was pretty much been a hit or miss as far as quality goes in my opinion particularly with the film they really wanted to make a big film which was really bad which was justice league you oh know, my god they were trying to make I that still be- it. i can't you're good you know what i have to do this is a side <laughs> note but i have to give her my voodoo password because i think we have justice league on there and if you oh. want to like get really high and watch it, well, about what there's, a, there's a few of them that I just can't bring myself to watch. <laughs> I don't want to talk badly about anyone's movies, but I just, I, as someone who is a hardcore DC Universe fangirl who owns every Bruce Tim animated movie and has read countless comic books, it's really hard for me to watch and mess up live action movies sometimes. That's fair. Yeah, that one that one's a little rough. It just has a movie. I would say maybe about like one fifth of it is uh has some entertainment value. The Flash is great, and, and Wonder Woman scenes really. Is Wonder Woman, <laughs> yeah, she's great. I, mean, I love. I cannot wait for the new Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> it looks so good. I know. Someday. So someday. It's coming one day. But all that being said, I, I thought that this was a very bold choice to just take this story, take it out of PG-13 land and just say we're going all the way R. Uh, I, th- I thought it was it was a lot more uh, gruesome in some scenes that I had thought going into it with the slicing off of the faces. I thought All about it. Yeah. I, I, well, that's what that character does. I mean, there, it would have been really hard for them to choose this guy. And if he, if you read the comic books, mm-hmm. the, the comic book art is even more violent than anything that they show in the movie. Um, he's terrible. He's a terrible person. He does terrible things. Like he's, in many ways, I feel can be just as dark, if not darker in some times than the Joker. Like he's Joker bad, but like just cruel. Where the Joker's insane, this guy is just cruel. There's a difference, I feel like, with their motivations, but they will mm. both go really in dark, bad places to to torture people. I mean, I love the film, but I was drawn to Roman probably immediately. I love a good a good villain and his little sidekick. Did anybody also. else feel that they were there was like a gay relationship going on between their yes. characters? Because that's how I felt. I didn't pick yes. up on that. I mean, I, 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 yes. I, he like hates women. Like he does not like women. He treats them very poorly. Like shoves them. Yeah. Talks about their clothes, the way they look in things. Like he's like the quintessential like bad stereotypical like gay character who like is mean to women and doesn't like women and you know 
real gay men are usually not like that, but there are ones out there who want to, you know, say, oh, you look fat in that, or you look bad in this, and ugh, women, ugh, ugh, like they say all these just awful things about women, and that's what I picked up on, because I've met mm. men like that, and he treats Black Canary like she's an object, like she's a thing, yeah. and she's like, he's surrounded by these beautiful women all the time, and he never compliments them. He's never looks at them in a way that's like of interest. He's very narcissistic. He likes the male form. He likes beauty and like forms and figures, and he keeps this guy around who's like clearly obsessed with him and will do anything he wants that I feel like there was definitely, like to me, I thought that they were like a gay I totally thought at least at the minimum it was they were in a you know they were bisexual but I thought Victor was way more into Roman because he would say stuff like you know uh what was it like you know you need me like I'm the person you need and like not saying dudes don't do that. Oh, dude, uh, we bro down like that all the time. Bro, you know you need me. <laughs> so- and he seemed, <laughs> Victor seemed so jealous of yeah. Canary. Yes, because she's getting attention and like, you yeah. know, there's, the, there's I definitely, definitely an undertone. And I feel like that was on purpose. And I feel like that yeah. was a choice. And I think even with Ewan McGregor's performance, like he, he picked up on the character like that himself and like really like led himself into that. Like even with his mannerisms, his, his dialect, like everything, I feel like he really kind of leaned in on like, well, maybe this character is this, or maybe this character is like that. Like, I think that um, he made some interesting choices with that character. Cause I don't remember in the comic if he's gay or not. So I'd have to look that up. But um I but even thinking about oh sorry oh, I was gonna say even thinking about that scene where he yells at that woman at the club and makes her get up on the table and yeah. then he's like that dress is ugly but there's never any like as her significant others ripping it off he's never like there's no sexual connotation to her dress coming off like he's exactly. very specific about the fact that he thinks the dress is ugly and. Yeah. You know, there's no indication of sexual assault that's going to take place or anything like that. There's, and I, I actually think that's a huge part of the film because when we see villains doing something that may have a bit of a sexual undertone with an undressing of a woman, there is some gross thing that they say that goes in line with that. And I felt like this is a really rare opportunity where that did not happen and i think it has to do with the type of person that roman is but also his sexual preferences yeah and i think that that um you know to me that this was a little bit more obvious in like the poe and finn relationship that people wanted you know to happen in the star wars world where i think they really leaned in on this on birds of prey which i thought was really interesting and i loved that they, they chose to have him act like toxic about his behavior because I think that that was an interesting choice because he's such a bad person that it would have been really bad if they made him be like a really likable gay man. Like that would have been weird to me. Yeah, like that he's toxic and and just behaves badly on every level. 
okay, but like I kind of liked him because he was so <laughs> flamboyant. I love. I mean, the thing is, like, I watch so many horror movies, and I'm always drawn to good villains. Oh, like, he's I, great. Yeah, like I want to love to hate someone, and I just thought his flamboyant, like, and I'm gonna swear a little bit, but he's kind of like a little when he has his like little bits, and yes. like. But you know that he's doing messed up. I mean, he's carving people's faces off. But then he's like, ew, this is, like, really gross. And, like, I just love that about him. And he just has, like, the snazziest outfits. And I'm like, all right, I'm about this villain. He literally has outfits with his own face on them. I don't even think I saw that. Yeah, there's... He has, like, a whole shirt with, like, his own face on it. I missed that, too. That's funny. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. It's... He's really over the top. And it's Hugh McGregor, and he's such a fantastic actor. Did anyone else pick up, just speaking on the film itself as a whole, did you pick up on the fact that there were heavy influences from the 90s, um, Romeo and Juliet, and the Moulin Rouge film in this movie? There were sequences that felt Mm. 100% like exactly from those two movies. I didn't think about Romeo and Juliet because, I mean, I love that movie, Romeo and Juliet. Um, but it's been like forever since I watched it, but I felt like the musical numbers were very Moulin Rouge, oh, but it's also mm-hmm. because it's you and McGregor who's in both. So it's like, <laughs> you know, but I do, I think the style and the execution had that over the top colorful, like draw you in type of feel that Moulin Rouge also had. I mean, I love both those movies I love. So. I love both those movies too. But if you look at the advertisements too between Birds of Prey and uh, the Romeo and Juliet movies. Oh, wow, you'll you're right. See, you'll see some similarities between the two. Yeah, yeah it's oh, probably not a coincidence. Look. Yeah, it's a very similar style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now that I'm looking at the poster design. I always I pay attention to design and how people market stuff. And like, you know, I, I love it when people pull influences from things that you might not expect them to. Um Speaking of design, can I talk about one of my favorite parts of the film? Do it. uh, James, the ending in the fun house. Oh, the set design of the the booby trap? (laughs) Yeah, I want to move into the booby trap. That place is absolutely incredible. You just want to say booby. I don't need permission. I could check it for other reasons. It's called the booby trap. I didn't make it up. I mean, that whole Carnival Row haunted section, I just want to go to that place. Yeah, I, I was. I, yep. I, that's, that's stuff I want them to build. I don't know. Like, you know. Now imagine if they rebuilt that and put that in like a, a park at Universal Studios, you know, because they'd partner, you know, with Warner Brothers to do stuff in their park. Like, that would be amazing if they did a DC universe and had like a whole area that was like the booby trap and you got to have like a girl dressed like Harley taking pictures and you have the other birds of prey character. I mean, I, come on. I wouldn't leave. <laughs> All I'm thinking about is the fact that James would quite literally never leave. <laughs> Just imagine how well they did with the Harry Potter world being immersive. Imagine like an immersive yeah. like Gotham city. It would be. Yeah. Rough. But it's particularly the the carnival situation that in the end the that the secret hideout I guess as it as it once was. I loved it. I mean, that was like that whole set design, production design of that was like that was just like a kid in a candy store. Like I loved yeah. it. 
And I love that she kept breaking her shoes and was having to force <laughs> to be walk around barefoot and do things with bare feet. And then I love that she like <laughs> on roller skates and she does roller derby. Like there are just so many things where I'm like, yep, been there, like out late at night, your shoes are killing you, you're regretting life. And you're like, am I going to be that girl walking barefoot in the city right now? Or am I going to just deal with the fact that my foot's bleeding in my shoe? It honestly depends on the night. I've done both. Exactly. <laughs> Well, uh, one thing, especially this, I thought was uh, that the set design was a little bit of a throwback to uh, the to the Tim Burton Batman films. I don't think we've seen this kind of colorful, uh, larger than life feel. Obviously, no one films were void of that completely. Um, it was very dark and gritty in there in its uh, design. Yeah. But I was also I was getting a little bit of a feel of uh, you know of, you know the of the original uh, Burton films with the. Oh, those are yeah. the best. Those level. are the best. In the my f- opinion, I know it's not a popular opinion, but my opinion, those are the best Batman movies ever made. And even though maybe him out of the bat suit, he's not the most aesthetically believable Bruce Wayne. His performance as Bruce Wayne is the most believable. And I love him in the bat suits. And I'm sorry, Batman Returns is just a Catwoman movie in disguise. It's the whole movie is about Catwoman. <laughs> I will literally never argue that point with Micheline. <laughs> I know enough to like, <laughs> I would just, I mean, I love Batman Returns, but. <laughs> but I think about like, as a little girl, what that movie meant to me and how it made me like, want to be reborn into like this badass, strong female character. I'm hoping that Birds of Prey makes a girl who might be a little bit more complicated feel like she can be a better person, can do good things, can make better choices, can be a good guy, even if she's not perfect. And I think that what's the best message in this entire film is that you don't have to be a a perfect person or a, a mentally healthy person to do good things and make good choices and make your life better and to help people because mental illness is a thing that people usually steer away from in, in conversations. And I love that that's the forefront of her character. I could not agree more with that. I think, you know, I'm a big proponent of mental health. I think it's something that needs to be talked about more. I think that there's still an awful stigma attached to it. And you have a character like Harley Quinn who seems so believable because everybody, all of us are flawed and that's okay because we're all trying to do the best that we can. And she's trying to do the best that she can with a mental illness coming out of an extremely toxic relationship and trying to find her way. And I think that's why there's so much love for her because a lot of people can see themselves in a character like that. Like, you keep making the same mistakes, but you're trying so hard to not make those same mistakes. But what do you do? And that's all, you know, yeah, 100%. I did love that. They still kept her beaver in the story in some regard because <laughs> in the comic book, she has this make believe beaver that she talks to and does things. And I was like, wow, how, how are you going to do the beaver? And they successfully included the beaver in this film (laughs) in a really amazing funny way i mean just the movie's funny it's so funny and i love that she like drew a penis on the joker's drawing that she had thrown knives into like i just i don't think i noticed noticed if you go back and rewatch it that was the thing i was so excited about like she was just completely defaming his picture not to mention just throwing knives at it but just like 
drawing stuff on it and writing stuff on it. <laughs> and <laughs> I just thought it was so funny because like, I feel like there's definitely some realness because there's moments where she kind of acts like a teenager and there's moments where she acts like an adult. And I think that's why her character is kind of relatable to like a bigger age range because even though it's so wild and outlandish, she does things that like we've all been guilty of doing in some ways. Yeah. Buildings. Yeah, <laughs> most of us haven't. But, but you, you did bring up a, a good point there. Is that I I've seen this film three times now, and I think that this film has a lot of rewatchability and to it because every time I watch it, there is there's a there's a lot happening, and you kind of catch you know more things. Particularly the fight scenes. The fight scenes are so chaotic and fast, and when you actually uh, watch them a few times, you see how just brilliantly choreographed these fight scenes are. Like these are these are top level <laughs> stunts and acrobats going on there. So the I think she woman, did a lot of them. Well, there, so she did as much as she could, but the stunt woman, the stuff that's on the motorcycle and in the car with the roller skates is all real. That oh. actually was shot. I mean, there are some green screens, especially mm. with the close-ups and stuff, but like where you see her swerving and holding on to the motorcycle, that's all real. And you see her like, on the car that's all real and there's a lot wow. there's a lot that was just super impressive if you go into behind the scenes um images and different posts that margaret's posted with the stunt uh woman that did her performances that she wasn't able to do it's like so impressive and also terrifying like i just yeah. can't imagine <laughs> holding onto a motorcycle and four quad roller skates <laughs> <laughs> i would not do that yes no uh, but I'm excited that there are people out there that are all down to do it, like especially women performers out there doing crazy things and they deserve respect. And, uh, you know, I wish they had an award for stunt work because it's such a, an amazing and difficult and, and dangerous job. And it definitely doesn't get the admiration that it deserves. Yeah. No, but I, I think, I think the industry is slowly, Going to that, you know, I think putting a spotlight on the stunt performers more and more over the past few years, you know, particularly with people like Zoe Bell becoming a, uh, you know, getting some her face on camera. She's amazing. I remember being at the like, was it the Saturn Awards a long time ago at an after party and her dress broke and I grabbed it before it like <gasps> fell. <laughs> oh, no. Tied it up. And she just gave me like the best drunk Zoe Bell hug and like sloppy cheek <laughs> kiss ever. And I just like, remember that moment. She was so nice. She had the best stories too. She was really cool. And I'm excited that her career is doing so well. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, speaking of Zoe Bell, um, <laughs> she is the main uh, stunt performer for Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. I, I saw a lot of uh, comparisons to Kill Bill Volume 1. Yes. With this film, which is pretty much my all-time favorite film. So I was very happy to see the influence and uh, just comparisons. Um, just in the, the way that the fight scenes were, were very reminiscent of Kill Bill to me. Um, but then also, uh, I love the way that they incorporated um, someone we haven't talked about yet. Um, Huntress, Huntress's backstory seemed uh, you know, She's crazy. very much like uh, the, the Kill Bill uh, you know. Uh, backstories the way they incorporated that in volume one so i got a, oh. a lot of kill bill vibes there 
I, I definitely agree with you. And Huntress is such a cool character. So what's interesting is in an alter universe comic book version of Huntress, she's actually Catwoman and Batman's child. She's their daughter. So oh. she has multiple backstories, but that's my favorite version of her backstory that's in a, like an alternate universe is that she's their daughter, which makes really awesome sense too when you think about it. But uh, her backstory is really interesting. I mean, like... And again, they did come out and say that Huntress's character is gay. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of great gayness in Birds of Prey, um, <laughs> and I just loved how on spectrum she kind of was too. Like she was very awkward and didn't know how to or communicate certain um, cues the same. Like we're I have some friends that know how to copy that are um, on spectrum and you know, for them, like they've gotten really good at it. It's called masking. But um, I, I liked that they kind of represented attributes for people that have autism possibly with her character. And I thought that was really interesting. And that's what my girlfriend that went with me that was autistic that felt when she watched it. And she was really excited that she felt like she was represented in, in some way by her character. Um, and, I, I thought Huntress was really interesting and I loved how awkward she was because mm-hmm. it was really charming and it was so like sweet um, and she was really badass also at the same time and I, she was so obsessive about being so good at what she does and so dedicated um, that she kind of didn't get to have that normal life and have social skills and cues and certain things and here she is with this group of badass girls and she's trying to like be as cool as them and it was just really charming um i thought but she's like way more badass at fighting than any of them yeah i love that scene when she's talking to the mirror trying to present herself like was it they call me they call you me. know <laughs> they call me <laughs> <laughs> oh she's good she's crazy but she's good <laughs> you're all crazy in some regard. yes I did love that um, Black Canary, uh, that they made her character black for this film. And I I think that was such a great choice because so many of the comic book characters are mostly all white characters. And I love that they like kind of leaned in on that kind of Beyonce lemonade um, thing with the baseball bat and even some of the wardrobe choices and the clothing. And I thought that was really cool um, because it's just it's good for girls to see stuff where they're like, I can see myself in this character. And I thought that it, her character was done really well without being kind of pandering. And I thought her like makeup, hair, styling, wardrobe, everything was like amazing. I loved her like septum ring. I kept staring at it constantly. I I like that the movie has a lot of inclusion. Sorry. No, it's more important what you said than what I was going to (laughs) say. You said a very important statement. (laughs) Well, I think that's the thing is that everybody can look at those characters and find a part of themselves in them. Or, you know, I I don't know if men can. You could just delete that part because I'm a little stoned. (laughs) No, we're going to leave it in. Well... (laughs) We uh, we were when we were just rewatching it. You were saying I don't, I don't know what character I that is me here. I see a little bit of me spread out, but the only character yeah. that you said you did identify with uh, mostly was Roman. <laughs> ironically, <laughs> okay. Listen, I'm not going to kill anyone. Uh, 
um, what was interesting is Mary Elizabeth uh, Weinstead's character says that um, what's crazy is that she's a proud parent of a 17-year-old autistic boy. Um, so I, she's talked pretty mm. in-depth about her character that she developed for Huntress and um, being a parent of an autistic child. So I think that that had a lot to do with, um, you know, uh, sorry, I just read this wrong. Whoop. I'm reading, like, trying to read an article while also, because I'm researching to see if, like, oh, did this person actually talk about this character being gay? Did this person talk about this character being autistic? And interviews. Um, I'm sorry, that was the writer who had a kid that was... Uh, I was like, how old is she? She has a 17-year-old <laughs> child? <laughs> sorry, that's So the interviewer for the article has a 17-year-old autistic boy. And when they went into depth with her creating this character that was definitely something that she worked on and tried to incorporate with her character and they thought that it was great that their son will have like a real hero to be represented in another film you know that might have similar attributes to themselves um so again people don't they think you know that that, that little things like this don't mean something but they so do like when there's somebody yeah. people can relate to on a, mm-hmm. as a character on screen it's really important because the more that we see cookie cutter you know perfect you know fake people in films and tv the less broken people the more broken people feel like you know when you see perfection all the time then you're just going to feel like well i'm just screwed like i'm nothing like this so i think that's what birds of prey is it's like this collection of misfits who aren't perfect who are flawed and they're great that way because they're discovering themselves and they're making each other better yeah and to kind of piggyback off what james said yes i saw myself in roman but i will not be you know slicing people's faces off i just he's a business owner i get it (laughs) you just had to you really had to defend yourself on that one what you want shannon is what you're trying to say i want somebody that's gonna have my back 24 7 and slice people's faces off in my you know honor that's, James. You got it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Put a bunch of scars on you, James, and bleach your hair out. Yeah. Have a platinum beard. That'll be awesome. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> uh, so one one uh, uh, person we have not yet mentioned, uh, which I was really glad to see uh, return to the to the screen, was Rosie Perez as the uh, you know the uh, police officer or I forget her which sergeant. Uh, Detective? Yes. I don't know. Whatever she was, I love her, and I feel like she's taken a huge uh, absence from film. I could be wrong on this, <laughs> but I, I can't remember the last film she was in before this, so I was glad that they uh, they brought her in on this. Oh, as someone that likes to watch procedural, like SVU, like Law & Order shows, mm-hmm. um, I love that she showed like the the BS that, that you have to deal with within that system where people stealing, you know, her work as their own and using that to climb up the ladder while she just continues to stay in the same position and role that she's at for years and decades. And I, I loved watching her just kind of be over it. Like when mm-hmm. she packed her stuff up and like pieces out, that was such an amazing moment because if you've 
ever been able to quit a job that you hated and you hated working with certain people and they treated you poorly. That was such a powerful, great, hilarious moment. And I loved what her watching her do that. And I love that she was, she's an alcoholic and she's kind of navigating that alcoholism as well and, and banding together with these women and that's helping her. Um, and I love that they cast a woman that's a lead character who's not in her 20s too, you know? That's also great. She's probably not even in her 40s. I mean, she's probably like in her 60s or at least 50s. I don't even know why. Let me see. Let's, let's go on the internet. Let's see. see. How old is Rosie Perez? Let's see what the Google says. <laughs> and Google, not that I mean, it matters, I, guys, but it matters. Well, it matters when, to your point that it's, it's unconventional. It matters to representation of yeah. allowing women to not be 20 something year olds to be in action films and to be in leading roles. And not having to be sexy all the time. I have to do math. Hold on. <laughs> you got her year she birth. Is, she's 56. See, almost 60. Dang, yep. she looks great. She lo- oh, I hope I look like that when I'm 56. Same. I want to look like that when I'm like 46. Um, yeah. But I, I really thought her character was really awesome. I mean, there wasn't a single character in this film that I didn't like and appreciate. I even loved the restaurant owner who Harley Quinn rents the apartment above his restaurant and she takes care of him and she thinks he takes care of her and then he sells her out for money, you know, and and she finds that out. She thinks he's dead. She's devastated and thinks that it's her fault that he's dead. Nope. He's fine. He's totally good. He's all packed up, took the money, sold her out. And just that it, she didn't do anything to him. You know, she just kind of let that sit in that like someone that she actually finally allowed herself to care about and look after and that she was worried about sold her out. Yeah. Wow. He did her dirty. He definitely did. (laughs) I'm not eating your Chinese food anymore. Yeah. You think about all the bad things Harley's done to other people. I mean, the girl does need a little taste of her own medicine in some way. And I, I think that what's the name of the uh, young girl character who still is the diamond? Uh, her name is Cassandra in the film, and she's played by Ella J. Basco. I think this was her first feature film. She was great. She was phenomenal. Adorable young girl. I loved the way she dressed. I loved her like sassy attitude and. Um, you know, her relationship with Harley is the, the, the thing that makes her a better person. And if, if you haven't yep. watched this film, it's going to be spoiled for you. But at the end of the movie, <laughs> she goes off with Cassandra as her look, little partner. And she's like her mentor. They're like a little weird family. She finally gets her egg sandwich. And she's kind of like Cassandra's mom in a way. Like she becomes like the big sister. And I, and she, she does Cassandra dirty, but then finally makes up for it. Um, and I think that the end of the film is where we get to see Harley kind of go off and she's like, this is who I am now. Yep. Very poignant. I was like, can't say it better myself. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's why we have Micheline that, on That it. is, that is. Well, one last... <laughs> I've had so many strong feelings about this movie. This is probably my favorite movie, comic book movie ever made, besides Batman Returns. I think Birds wow. of Prey is my number two. Like, because this is a, this was like I felt how I felt when I watched Kill Bill two, empowered, want to go kick ass, be a badass. 
but like on an even stronger level because this was told from a female perspective and yeah. i i loved i loved the broken characters who were flawed mm. who still did good things yeah that that's that's that is definitely part of the fun of the movie uh, I would it's s- definitely i would say it's up there in my top i mean dark knight is i mean that's like probably my favorite but this is probably second or third let's say here's my thing here's my thing about dark knight dark knight uh, you know is an amazing film uh, in my opinion um and it was it's an amazing experience watching it for the first time seeing it on imax all that fun stuff but really when it comes down to it it's just about heath ledger (laughs) that is true (laughs) and so that doesn't carry the whole film to make it as iconic as we remember it that that's what i learned in rewatches that it's true yeah no heath ledger is if i could just like there's so many people i still wish had played the joker i love heath ledger's performance as a joker i love joaquin phoenix's performance as the joker but my dream was to have William Defoe play the Joker. Oh, oh my god. god! I can't handle that. That would have been incredible. <laughs> oh my god! The ultimate though was Batman Beyond, the old Batman, and we have the original Batman come back from Tim Burton's Batman to play the old Bruce Wayne, and you get Mark Hamill to lose a shitload of weight and put him in Joker makeup and have him be the Joker because he voices the Joker in the animated every animated version of Batman and people have fought me on this for years and I'm just like, give the man a chance. You have no idea what he's capable of. I think that if you've ever watched live video of him performing the Joker and watch his face change as he gets in the character, it's haunting. He's, he would be an amazing William Dafoe and Mark Hamill are my two dream Joker performers who I wish could and should play the Joker at some point. I think Willem Dafoe, I mean, I'm a huge Willem Dafoe fan, so I think he would, I mean. Kill it. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> he hasn't even done it yet. I, I can't, I, I literally can't even handle the idea of that. That is too much. <laughs> that is too much. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not even going to begin to figure out what my favorite comic movie is, but I can honestly say out of the films that have been released in 2020 that I have seen, this is my favorite film of the, so far. Which is no, it's not a lot of movies, but I'd say most of the movies I've seen this year have been really good. So it's 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 a it's a sharp grading scale. In fact, I think the only movie I didn't like that has been released this year, we just watched Janet and I just watched the other day, which was The Turning. I think that was the only oh my film god! I like. <laughs> but every other movie I've seen, I have at least liked, if not loved. So all that being said. This film yeah, that was is like that was rough. <laughs> I only try to watch movies I know I'm gonna like because I there's nothing that makes me sadder than not liking a movie. Um, to be fair, there was so much talk about the end of turning the turning and how mad it made people. I was like, I have to see what happened. Like that's the only reason I, I watched it. I just I'm gonna wait until it's rentable because I I just like don't want to spend that much money on a movie that has a 12% Rotten Tomatoes rating. Um, and unless it's Troll Two and it's like fun bad which i'm all about like just fun adorable unabashed terrible cinema 
No, no, no. She's talking about Troll 2, not Trolls 2. (laughs) (laughs) Those are two different movies. Troll 2, the worst movie ever made. Yes. (laughs) 2 has way too much singing and like stuff happening in it that I don't, I loved the first one. Um, The second one is definitely just all about the music, which I'm sure that's great for people that like that. But I am someone that cannot handle musicals so i'm probably going to skip out on that one um it is a musical yeah but um, (laughs) we have digressed um i just uh, the whole separate episode about us just talking about stupid stuff (laughs) well i I, you know you're welcome back anytime if you you want to talk about that stuff um, you know, my last thing to say about this film though, to praise it is I actually like the non-linear storytelling. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. If, uh, I don't know That's if it. that is, uh, fr- from the comics or if that is, uh, in, if part of the adaptation, but I, um, I thought that would, I thought that made the film a lot more fun in my opinion. And the music too, for me, I thought the music was really, oh, the music awesome. was perfect. The music was fire. It was, I felt like I was in a party the whole time. And, the, and I mean that in a fun way and in an in a exciting way. But I've listened to that soundtrack so many times because it's so like upbeat and crazy. Um, again, I, I think this movie just broke a lot of barriers. They took a lot of chances. I think they made good choices, no matter if the movie didn't make as much as they wanted it to, to do. I think that they should be really proud of the film because I think they made something that's going to resonate and like hopefully continue to change the way that we tell female-driven stories um, in the comic, work, comic book universe. I can't top that. All right, so we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> Margaret Robbie as Tank Girl. Like that's what I am ready for next. I can't yes. see that. Well, aren't they aren't they isn't uh Tank Girl coming back with a new film? Isn't that something? Yeah, Margaret Robbie. So yeah. another reason why Margaret Robbie is forever my girl crush right now is she, she was such a smart woman making movies, making bank. She took all that money and started her own production company, then bought the rights to Tank Girl, and that's going to be her production company's first movie, and she's starring in it. So, oh, there we go. I didn't even know that. Right on. Yeah, I'm like a huge fan of Margaret Robbie. I think she's an amazing actress. I think that she actually is super into like really cool – sorry, cool stuff. And – um. I, and I love that that was her choice with her business was to do something as wild and crazy as Tank Girl, which was the comic book that I grew up reading and pretty much the reason why I almost shaved my head in school. Um, so I'm excited to see that, you know, apocalyptic punk rock tale that she's going to tell. And I really hope that she wears the full bomb bra and just co- totally goes for it because uh, she seems like she's very committed to her characters. And she's going to be Barbie. She's going to be Barbie? And what? Yep. What? And the live action Barbie movie. There's a live coming? action Barbie movie. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay. Did you <laughs> guys know about that- uh, Greta Gerwig? Wow. That's going to be interesting. Wow. Okay. A doll living in Barbie land is expelled for not being perfect enough and sets off an adventure in the real world. And it's based off of Barbie toys. And she plays Barbie. I mean, I'm here for it. But did you guys know that Barbie is actually based on a German prostitute? I did not know I, that. I, I knew that. <laughs> uh, Lily, Lily Bondi doll. They were called Lily uh, Bondi dolls. They were German. She was a German um, 
prostitute sex worker, sorry, I should say sex worker, um, incorrect, sex worker, uh, in the 50s, 40s, 50s, it was a comic book strip that was in Germany, and then they made little adult dolls that had like sexy outfits and lingerie that they sold to men, men bought them. Bindi Lily, I think is uh, uh, the name, and they're very expensive, they're hard to find. And the woman that owns Mattel Toys uh, found the doll, bought the rights to it, bought the doll, and the doll is literally the night, the very first Barbie, all original Barbies are literally spec to spec recreations of this essentially male uh, adult toy doll. That became the most popular toy for children <laughs> in the world. Uh, toys that made us, I think they might touch on it, but you can go way deep dive on it on the internet, and it's a pretty wild story. I, but yeah. this is 100% all fact. Wow. And I was to say she was, and she uh, this original is based off. She was kind of at a darker look. She had black hair. It wasn't. She she had multiple colors of hair. Yeah. They had redheads, blondes, brunettes. Because you have to think during the wars, that's what got that made these so popular. Guys are buying them and t- keeping them with them during the war as like mm. a thing to look at. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, I think the, the internet's a weird place. And to, <laughs> to have a hair color for every guy's preference, so they had every hair color. Oh my God! Wow. I, I I mean the amount of random things that you've just brought up that I would love to bring you back on to do entire episodes about <laughs> <laughs> your your vast of knowledge and all these things. I just definitely want to dig deep dives in. B i l d Lily doll, and it was considered a fashion doll, but it was really like a a toy for like dudes to like look at. It's weird. Men yeah. are interesting. <laughs> sure are but anyways uh birds of prey all right <laughs> i'm a big advocate for the film I... edit this episode a bunch because of a random conversation <laughs> uh, people love it um but uh, i i knew that you were a huge advocate for the film Micheline. that's why i want to invite you on and so you could share your oh, thoughts yes. it's amazing please go support it it's definitely still a movie that dudes can watch and have so much fun with i mean again if you love kill bill then you're gonna love this movie too it's no different. It's don't be afraid of female empowerment and girls and stuff like that. This movie's for everybody. But at the same time, I really, really hope girls will go out and support this, buy the DVD, rent it. Because if you want movies like this made for us, then this is the only way it's going to happen is by giving your money to support it. Amen. So when, uh, when is, uh, you looked it up earlier, Shannon, when it is, it's on digital to buy the digital, but when is the physical available? May 12th. May 12th. To buy the DVD in Blu-ray yep. 4K. May 12th. That'll be here tomorrow. Time's just flying by. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> We're not going to be allowed to leave our houses, so you might as well buy movies. Yes. <laughs> All right. So if people want to uh, find you on the internet and your social media, what's your, uh, uh, your, your You tags? can just go to my website, www.michelinepitt.com, or just my name, Micheline Pitt. I'm pretty much on uh, Instagram and Twitter and that's kind of it. I don't like social media that much. I got to use it for work, but that's that's where you can find me. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Woo! This podcast has been a production of the Creepy Kingdom Podcast Network. Executive produced by James H. Carter II and Ryan Grulick. 
Visit creepykingdom.com to get access to all of our articles, videos, and podcasts. Join our Patreon for exclusive content. Patreon.com slash creepykingdom. Until next time, this is Hannah reminding you to keep it creepy. Ha, 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 ha.